Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. This episode is brought to you by NRF 2022, retail's big show. The most influential retail leaders and the latest retail technology will be back in person January 16 to 18 in New York City at Retail's Big Show. Learn more and register at nrfbigshow.com. That's nrfbigshow.com. Be sure to use our special discount code 11727 when you register to receive 20% off a full conference pass. NRF 2022, Retail's Big Show. Be there. Hello, I'm Carl McKeever. Welcome to the latest episode of The Interview from the Retail Exchange Podcast. Anyone who's spent a good deal of time working from home during the pandemic will know how much the experience was enhanced by the companionship of a playful pooch or furry feline. Employees at the UK's leading pet care business Pets at Home certainly know a thing or two about working with animals. Here, a massive 93% of colleagues are also pet owners. In this episode, I explore the retailer's focus on people as well as pets, with Pets at Home Chief People and Culture Officer Louise Stonia. In just two short years, the way we work has changed, and fast. But even before the crisis, she had her sights set on challenging the conventional narrative when it came to people, positivity and productivity. Here, she explains how the retailer overcame recent challenges, why loving what you do is key to giving it your all, and how meaningful engagement, flexible working, and even welcoming four-legged friends into the office ultimately pays off when it comes to delivering lasting performance improvements. You're listening to the Retail Exchange podcast, and I'm pleased to say my guest is Louise Stonia, Chief People and Culture Officer at Pets at Home. Louise, welcome. Oh, thank you. Um, Louise, Pets at Home, it's one of those brands where I think we've all seen it on the high streets and those of us with animals have certainly uh, experienced the store. What do you think is the magic of Pets at Home? I'd have to, well, I've got to say this because I'm Chief People Officer, but our people, absolutely fantastic. They make our business. Um, I've been at Pets for 17 years now and day in, day out, they astound me with the extra miles that they go to. They're really part of the community. Um, They know their customers. They know their customers' pets. know their customers' pets by names. um, And and absolutely are that trusted advisor. So, of course, prior to the pandemic, you know, people would visit a store, take their pet along, get a free biscuit if, if, uh, you know, if that's your thing. Um, But more importantly, they'd find a place where they could get good advice, good products, and in my experience, certainly, a lot of kindness too. How has the pandemic changed the way that Pets at Home now works and that interaction with, with you know, their guests, their consumers? It's a really interesting one because I think that kindness really came through during the pandemic. So both in terms of how we treated each other in the business, but also how we treated our customers. And so many colleagues went that extra mile, particularly where they had vulnerable customers. We often had colleagues who were delivering pet supplies out to the community because they had customers who just couldn't make it into store. But actually, it was quite hard at the beginning for some of our colleagues because we went from being 
incredibly busy just before lockdown. So we suffered from the panic buying that was happening to then actually being a lot quieter in terms of footfall because obviously everything was very controlled. You know, we had the queue very controlled in terms of numbers of customers in store. And, and for colleagues in a business where they're used to really showcasing that advice, doing the pet workshops, being really interactive with pets, um, their, with the customers, it, it, was, it was quite difficult for them actually not, not to be able to really have that closeness and interaction. Obviously, we've gone back to, to where we were before the pandemic now. So, so as a result of that and that kind of time within, you know, where we're in lockdown and you know, the countries are in a very different place, has there been a long-term impact to the culture of the business or how the business operates, you know, in terms of the way that people interact with one another and the people that interact with the consumer? I wouldn't say there's a change. I would just, I would say that we saw all of those wonderful foundations of our culture really come to the fore. Um, so our values very much there at the heart of what we do. So we put pets first. Um, pets come first in the organisation. We were really clear at, at, at the very, very start what our priorities were, so to keep our colleagues, customers and their pets safe. Um, and that kind of ran through throughout the whole of the pandemic, but it's still there. And it, and it is based on that trust and that kindness that, that we show each other. So I wouldn't say culture's changed. I would just say that our culture and those values just came rising up and were really the strength and the enablers of what saw us through that pandemic. And what were the areas of greatest change, you know, in terms of business operations during that time? It has to be the support office. Um, so stores, we were open from day one. So colleagues were continuing to go into stores. They were with, with their team members. But support office, suddenly everybody had to work from home. Um, and then the other big changes, we're used to being out in stores. Our field team is going out in stores. It's a very interactive business. Um, and that was one of the biggest changes that suddenly our field teams could not go into stores on that regular basis because of the fear of spreading COVID around. And, and what was the reaction from the store teams? Because I can imagine that, you know, whilst they were open and pretty much on the front line, you know, they were kind of must have had their own anxieties and concerns. How, how as a business did you help people to feel you know, comfortable about, you know, their role and the situation? Yeah, I've first priority was to reassure all of our colleagues out on the front line and we were really conscious that we couldn't get out there physically so the very first thing that myself and the CEO did is we, we enacted daily video comms so it was almost like a state of the nation communication that we did every day at four o'clock every day was the same actually and everybody knew that at four o'clock there would be myself and Peter um, in a video that went out to everybody in the whole organisation. Um, and at the time, I mean, the government guidance was changing by the minute and colleagues were trying to interpret it. What does it mean for me? Um, and they looked to us to do that. Um, we became health advisors. We became care advisors, family advisors. They looked to us as that organisation, not external. And every day we were there saying, this is what we know now, might change tomorrow and we'll let you know, but this is what we know now and this is what it means for you. And did you feel that perhaps providing that kind of regular daily structure um, kind of almost set some sort of almost level of normality when everything else was moving you know, at such pace all around? Yeah, absolutely. It gave them that reassurance that we were there. We were there, we were on it, and we were thinking about them as well. So we would get every day daily, daily kind of feed, feedback into the people team 
we would collate that and then we would deal with whatever issues, anxieties that they had, we would then deal with that on the video. And presumably that was a new thing, you weren't already doing those kind of video conference calls? Or? It was a completely new thing, yes. And what other things <laughs> were kind of created at great speed and, and with almost an urgency to keep a grip? So the other thing was um, buddy calls that we did. Um, so to, to try and so mimic, I would suppose, that field team interaction, every single director took an area. Um, and an area is about 16 to 20 stores. Um, and we phoned them on a regular basis. So every week we'd pick up the phone and speak to the store manager and see what was going on. Um, so they had that regular contact as well. And that gave us some fantastic insight and feedback in terms of what was happening on the ground. So as you look back now, when we're kind of emerging, you know, in this kind of new period where we're, we're open, but, you know, customers are cautiously and hesitantly coming back into store. What do you see as some of the major wins of that period, really? Things that you think, you know, really proud we did that. That's a good lesson learned. And actually, this is something which maybe we wouldn't have done unless we were forced to. Um, something that we maybe even continue to do in the future or do it differently. I think there was two things, that communication piece. So having a whole colleague base that felt more connected to the business during the pandemic than before the pandemic because of those comms, the buddy scheme that we put in place, I have to say it was a massive tick in that box. And then the other thing, it, it's quite funny actually because this was going to be my objective for 2020 is to implement modern ways of working. Um, we knew that there'd be like some teams in, in the support office that traditionally have always worked in the support office and it was going to be a, a bit, bit of a, a, a challenge to get them to remote work. Well, actually, pandemic, they'd had no choice. Um, and the way that they adapted to that and the business adapted to it, and still con we continued to provide that service to stores, really strong results, I have to say, immensely proud of. And I guess in retail, one of the ways in which people progress is actually through that visibility of, of, of the progress we make in store and then the, the checks that the regional support team would do. And that's how progression has traditionally happened. In the absence of people being able to make you know, physical visits to stores and store teams having to take responsibility literally for their whole P&L and, and everything about that store, how has that whole approach around recognising individuals' progress and how that works in terms of their own career plan, have you been able to maintain any of that? Absolutely, and I think it's actually opened up opportunities because before, um, particularly when we had that kind of divide between, not, not a divide, but between support office and stores in terms of opportunities, it was always challenging because our support office is in Cheshire, stores are everywhere, so unless you were locally um, close to the support office, the, the opportunity to move from a store role into the support office is actually quite narrow. But now we're seeing the number of roles where our store colleagues have moved into different roles, say in data, marketing, people team, has completely opened up because they can work remotely. And they still want to come into the support office. They want to see what it's like and interact. But that doesn't have to be five days a week. It could be once a month. It would be for whenever we need to collaborate and get together. And I think for every business that's had to adapt to this more remote, uh, blended working uh, model that we've seen, you know, there's some definite wins, but there's also been some challenges. Where do you think the challenges have been and, and what have you done to try and almost smooth out the bumps? I think the biggest challenge is redefining what is the role of the office. And particularly in somewhere like Pets at Home, where the office was not almost the culture, but was a real signal of that culture. You can bring your dogs into work. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that is one of our differentiators to other organisations. You can bring your pet to work with you. You don't have to leave it at home. So how do you replicate that? 
when you're working in a remote environment and we very much want to promote a hybrid working environment. But what we found actually is putting it into the hands of the colleagues, they still very much want to come into the office. The reason might have changed actually for why they want to come in t- into the office. It's for collaboration, socialization, um, but they also want to work from home when there's a reason maybe to sit down and have a very focused piece of work. So we're still working our way through it, mm. but I think that has been the biggest challenge is how do you keep that culture alive when you're working in this hybrid way? And I think before we went into the pandemic where businesses were starting to get more uh, conscious perhaps of the opportunities to work from home and work remotely, for some organisations, one of the biggest barriers was trust and actually wondering whether or not people would still you know, complete a whole day, whether they would be as productive you know, in their own domestic environment as they would have been you know, in a corporate office. Is that something that you know, pets at home had to wrestle with or, or how were you with that? I don't think it was something we did wrestle with. It was immediately, we trust you. Right. Um, we know how passionate you are about the business. We absolutely trust you. You're all grown-ups. We're all adults here um, to get on with your jobs. If anything, we've had to really look after our colleagues and make sure they don't go the other way and burn out. You right. know, working too long hours, not putting the laptop down, making sure that they are looking after that well-being. Um, and it's really interesting because there's this thing that's creeping in where people are saying... I don't want to come into the office because I'm not very productive in the office. But actually, there's a real value in coming into the office and having that socialisation. That is productive. Mm -hmm. Making those connections, really establishing and cementing those relationships on an individual basis, that is productive. And I think for many people as well, I think possibly what they also start to recognise, that um, whether it was the commute, whether it was actually the office environment, there was some benefit actually in having a bit of compartmentalization between your work life and your home life and being able to you know separate those things you know properly absolutely so for, for different people they want to come into the, the office for different reasons it's very individual um, so there will not be a kind of a blanket approach for everybody but we've, we have approached it very much with the individual in mind and and Presumably, that also means that managers um, also have to operate with a bit more flexibility in terms of how they look after teams and how they look after personal development. Sometimes they've got to operate in the grey. You know, there's a framework. It's not a rule book. It's a framework. And they have got to be able to go with what is right for their team, which is not the same for everybody. And that can be challenging for some, for some leaders. Sure. So thinking about employees working in the stores... What do you think are the important things for people now? You know, we've kind of, we've loosened the rules, the doors are back open again. What do the teams want from you? So we've just done our colleague survey. Not, we've not announced the results yet to the, to the business, but just in, in terms of sharing a couple of headlines with you, and actually the biggest game changer is our colleagues are the most engaged when their leader in the store sits down, could be for five minutes, 10 minutes, and shows them that they care. Right, That is the biggest game changer in terms of engagement and sitting down and talking to them about how are you and what, what are your aspirations, your personal development, being really clear what's expected from them but within a, in a framework, taking that time massively impacts that engagement. And talking to them on a one-to-one, face-to-face, person-to-person so you actually have that Absolutely. connection and that human connection has come back. Interesting. Tell me a little bit, please, about the Pets at Home ESG strategy um, and your role, that, and especially the role that people play in helping to form part of the company's pledge towards, you know, a pledge for a better world. So we've got three um, pillars in our Better World Pledge strategy. So people, pets, 
um, and planet. And so people is very much one of those pillars um, of that strategy. By 2030, we want to help a million people um, through our organization in a number of different ways. Um, and one of those ways is really increasing social mobility um, and opening up and attracting talent um, from areas where they may have barriers into the workplace. So we have partnered with the Prince's Trust on the Kickstart program, which we launched in March this year, and it's proving a huge success. Um, and, and what is most successful is the fact that the number of colleagues that are staying with us after that Kickstart program has ended and are actually moving into permanent roles with us. For me, that, that is the badge of success. So when you're looking for people to work in stores, what, what are those qualities? What are the things that stand out? You know, you know when people are, uh, you have choices about who you want to hire. Who, who are the people that shine that you say, yes, would you like, you know, come on board? It absolutely comes down to having the right attitude. So we can teach anybody the skills that they need, but having the right attitude to be able to work in that team, to have a passion for the organization, actually where we want to go in our purpose, their value set being aligned to our value set are incredibly important. From a leadership perspective now, and as part of that team, how do you feel that you now need to think differently about the culture. And as we move out of this phase and into you know, the, the, new, the new era, how will leadership lead in a cultural sense to change and challenge the organization to go further? I think there's this paradox about agility. So leaders have got to be able to, I think, first recognize challenges that are ahead then actually have a plan to be able to do something about it. But they've got to then have this really firm strategic vision. Um, so you've got to almost have this kind of strong spine and then this agility and muscle flexibility <laughs> that, that goes with it. Um, because you've, you have got to, to mould the organisation in that way to be able to move with speed when you need to, but then really have those core foundations mm -hmm. that ensures that what is good about your culture you don't lose mm. you take with you and i think very often you know um businesses seem to operate on shifting foundations you know new members within the leadership team change of priorities change of strategic plans etc um as you said right at the start of this interview you've been at pets for 17 years now i imagine that you are here because you love it you know how do you see that has been the strength and the longevity of your tenure at the core i mean i've talked about it it's 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 trust it's kindness it's our values so you can cut us through and our values pour out is what they say about pets at home colleagues it's not something that we just put on the wall it's something we live and breathe every single day and, you know, when you think about change, and change has been around in so many different ways in the, in the last few months, ultimately, you know, for change to be successful, it has to be landed and it has to be delivered and it has to, you know, take a firm hold. What's the success that you deliver change? You have to take people along with you. And I know everybody says that, but I think part of that is you may have to deliver some tough messages because you've got to be clear actually who wants to go on that change journey with you and there'll always be people that don't want to and that can be quite difficult um, and it can be difficult to face into that but if people absolutely don't love what you're doing they're not going to give it their everything mm -hmm. so they've got to love your vision your purpose 
and that sometimes does mean sitting down and actually having a very difficult conversation. Yeah, but I should imagine, given the uh, the things you do and the the kind of consumer that comes into the store, you know, you, there's a natural empathy there. If you love pets, you know, that's a place I want to work. You know, it's the same kind yeah, of thing. You know, absolutely, you, you attract but like-minded people in that sense. Yeah, we do. Yeah, from a, an industry perspective, what would you like to still see? as changes which become embedded. You know, what lessons have we learnt? Things that you think, actually, these are things which shouldn't just be temporary and fleeting, but things we now need to build into the, the framework almost around how best practice retailers operate. So, first in terms of the way that support offices operate, we have to continue with this hybrid working. Um, I find it really strange that organisations who trusted their colleagues to work from home for 18 months and they were incredibly, incredibly productive and now making them all come back into the office. Um, I think there's absolutely a role for the office, but I think it complements remote work and the two come hand in hand. And I think it's how, and it's really, really difficult, but how do organisations navigate their way through that whilst at the same time giving an absolutely exceptional service out to colleagues who are in stores, on the front line, and also out to customers. Mm. And I thought if you get it right, there can be a real win-win for everybody, actually. Absolutely. So I think one of the, the things which is interesting to me is when you're not shopping at Pets at Home, <laughs> which are the kind of brands that you would look for? And presumably brands which would be, you know, similar in terms of values or cultures to your own. Which are the brands do you admire? So one of my favourite brands, or I'd have to say this is the favourite brand of my daughter, so she's kind of got me onto it. I buy stuff for her from, from it, not myself, um, is Urban Outfitters. I think they are absolutely fantastic. So the whole piece that they're doing on that upcycling of garments, where they're taking, say, old Ralph Lauren clothes and they are recycling them and remaking them into new garments. So it's creating a generation. I mean, my daughter's 18 and literally half of her wardrobe is actually upcycled mm -hmm. garments. Um, but so is that, is that about then the fact that Urban Outfitters are taking some uh, big social initiatives and they are looking towards sustainability and building that in and, and, and therefore reaching a new kind of customer? Absolutely. And other brands that have a really clear purpose, a real clear ESG agenda, um, are completely behind. And I think one of the things that's always been of great interest to me is, you know, you are a, a store that actually sells live animals. What, what, are the, what are some of the challenges there? You know, when you, you've got bunny rabbits and all those kind of things. Very different to any other kind of general merchandise retailer. All of our colleagues do a very intensive training programme. Um, in fact, most of our colleagues join us already with degrees in animal care. Um, it's quite remarkable the, the amount of expertise we already have in our business before they actually join us. But then we have a very specific training program in terms of both how do we look after pets in store, but also how do they then educate customers on how they look after pets and making sure that customers are making a really informed decision before they enter into that pet ownership. Mm. Is that for you? part of what makes a great customer experience. Absolutely. Coming away and actually being really clear what you need to do for your pet. I mean, I know when we got our puppy, um, it was a completely new experience for me. And, and I looked to our stores to guide me on what should I be feeding? How much should I be feeding? What am I going to experience? Um, and they were absolutely there holding my hand through that journey. So for a colleague who joins and comes there with their love of pets, what could I expect in terms of a, an initial development plan to get me competent and ready to go? So in those first um, six months, we will get you ready to be able to sell a pet. 
um, and in that um, training around the health aspects of the pet um, so that you are competently able to educate a customer in terms of how to look after their pets but on top of that there's numerous other different modules that we do so we do bath and buddy um, in the groom room um, so how to bath and groom the pet and um, we do nutrition um, advice there is a core level of advice on puppy and kittens so how to advise customers on puppy ownership on kitten ownership reptile ownership broad vast range of experience that you'll get that'll be layered then on top of that initial first six months that you get with so us. So I guess compared to you know a retail job in another type of brand perhaps a clothing store or maybe even a grocery store the level of training is actually quite intensive. It is but colleagues come to us because they want that experience you know they want to learn they're the ones who are more eager to learn they want to learn more and more and more we almost have to hold them back in terms of the amount of information that they want to get so that enthusiasm you want to you know kind of really capitalize on it yeah oh look the pandemic changed so many things and you've told us some um, terrific ways in which you feel the business has benefited which things would you be really disappointed to see if they you know old working practices crept in i think it's the mandating every day in the office. Um, I've always hybrid worked. Um, I joined Pets at Home when my first child was six months old um, and very much flexed between working from home and working in the office. Um, And it's great that we've now got that throughout the whole of our business. I think it's fantastic. I think it'd be a real shame if, you know, organisations just go back to mandating the same every day. And what can we expect from Pets at Home in the future? Are there there any big new initiatives or something exciting that you'd like to give us a tease with? We've always got lots of things um, up our sleeve. I think the the big thing is, you know, our stores continuing to be that experience um, and continuing to build on that. Um, And that is a real hallmark of yours, I think, isn't it? The the in-store experience is, is fun and friendly and playful and highly engaging. Well, it's been my absolute pleasure to talk to you, Louise. Thank Thank you you. so much for being our guest on the Retail Exchange podcast. And uh, we wish you well. Thank you so much. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by NRF 2022, retail's big show. The most influential retail leaders and the latest retail technology will be back in person January 16 to 18 in New York City at Retail's Big Show. Learn more and register at nrfbigshow.com. That's nrfbigshow.com. Be sure to use our special discount code, 11727, when you register to receive 20% off a full conference pass. NRF 2022, Retail's Big Show. Be there. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag retail exchange. Thanks for listening.